God's word speaks to us this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. We're going to read the section in which it describes Jesus as walking on the water. Matthew chapter 14, beginning to read God's word at verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Buffeted by the waves because of the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. May God bless the reading of his word to us this morning. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a trip that they did not want to take. They wanted to remain with Jesus on shore. They did not want to leave, for the excitement was just beginning to mount after the teaching and the work of Jesus Christ among the multitude. But Jesus would not let them stay. The scriptures say that he compelled them, he made them get into that boat and to go to the other side. Now when you consider what was happening, you can understand why the disciples so much wanted to, to stay. For Jesus had just fed the multitude of 5,000 people. That had been a mind-boggling experience. I mean, he took five loaves of bread and two fish, and by some miracle of blessing, they were multiplied enough so that, that that lunch that was given by a small boy satisfied the hunger of thousands of people. Well, needless to say, the excitement was high. The mood was something like that which fills the stadium after the home team scores a winning touchdown. John, in his gospel, tells us that the multitude wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king. That's the kind of excitement was happening on the shore. 
But that could not be, of course. Jesus was not to be their earthly king. That whole situation was being used, we must understand, by Satan in order to tempt Jesus away from the path to Golgotha and the suffering of the cross. I can make you king without going to Golgotha. To control the situation, Jesus constrained the disciples to get into that boat and to go to the other side. They did not want to go. But in obedience to Jesus, they got into that boat and they set off for the other side. Raising a sail, they caught a gentle breeze. But little did they know that this trip was forcing them to face up to their fear and the substance of their faith like nothing had before. Those in that boat would pass through a storm that evening, and God planned that they would also pass through a soul-searching experience. So that gentle breeze pushed them three to four miles out to sea. Suddenly that gentle breeze became a fierce and raging wind which picked up the waves and dashed them against their boat. Lowering the sails, the disciples manned the oars, and for several exhausting hours, they fought against the wind and the waves while Jesus was not there. Now, while reading Matthew's account, I was struck by a couple of things. How, how quickly a change can come into our lives. Change that can even threaten our very existence. Just think. Only a few hours before, they were on green grass. The day had been bright and sunny, warm and mild. The scenery around them included the rolling hills and gentle slopes and green trees and a, a blue lake and a sandy beach. It was picturesque and stirring to the heart. And they were also present with their loving, good shepherd. The scene kind of reminds you of what we hear in Psalm 23, doesn't it? They witnessed how he had reached out in love to thousands of hungry people. Just a few hours before, they were happy and they were content and they were secure. But now, after a lapse of a few hours, they are struggling against a storm. In the midst of the sea, tossed about by the waves, overwhelmed with exhaustion and helplessness and danger, they were there alone without Jesus. Such is life, isn't it? We're sitting here now in the shelter of this house of God, but think about what changes could happen to us in the next hour. It's possible that the next hour could bring an event in which our, our very lives are threatened. That's life. Our lives change. 
And a second observation I make is that even obedience may bring untold difficulty. The disciples were in that boat because they had ultimately followed the will of their master. Although it had been their own desire to stay on the shore, they eventually obeyed Jesus and got into that boat. Think about it. If they had entered that boat against Jesus' will, then perhaps we could say the storm was justified or the, uh, they should have expected a storm for they had been disobedient. But in that boat, in that boat is the obedient church. The obedient church. And yet the storm came. It should not surprise us, but it always does, doesn't it? We're the obedient children of God. And yet storms enter our life. And that's something Jesus said would happen. In the world, you will have tribulation. It's not shocking. It shouldn't be a surprise. When we're disciples of Christ, we can expect storms in our life. You see, obedience may bring difficulties and commitment may bring trials. Jesus never promised anything else. Well, we must return to those in the boat. They were at the point of exhaustion. Their strength was gone, and so was their hope. And at that time, when all seemed lost, Jesus came to them, walking on the water. The disciples had prayed for his presence during those long hours of struggle. They were hoping he would come, but how, they did not know. And here he was. Here he was. Coming to them, walking on the water. When they were in danger and distress, he came. And it could only mean one thing. Help. Deliverance. Safety. Walking on the water as he was, could only mean one thing. He's coming with his omnipotent power. The power that allowed the water to hold his weight and prevented the waves from disturbing his gait. With such power, he was now near. But it was that sight, seeing this incredible thing that that brought them to the height of terror. It's a ghost. They cried. And the word captures the idea that they literally screamed. So great was their fear. The darkness of the hour, the, the storm and the danger still in full force, the, the physical exhaustion all combined to make these disciples give way to utter despair for they looked at what was in front of them. They thought it was a ghost and they no doubt felt it was a sure sign of their doom. <coughs> their doom. And we realize that what happens to them often happens to us who are in the same boat. 
In fear, they lost consciousness of the presence of God. As soon as they faced difficulties, they felt that somehow they were alone. In the midst of their trial, they assumed that God is no longer there. (coughs) But is God gone when hope is gone? Is God weak when we are weak? Is God afraid when we're afraid? Of course not. When they saw that figure on the sea, they never thought for one moment, even though they had prayed that he 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 would be with them, they never thought for one moment that it was Jesus. Nor would we. Nor have we. We lose sight of God quickly when we are afraid. And what he intends as a blessing, somehow we count it as a curse. (coughs) When he intends it as a stepping stone to greater spiritual maturity, we think of it as a stumbling block. For often in times of trouble and trial and difficulty and danger and adversity and affliction, we have said, where is God? Where is God? We become like those disciples in the boat, filled with fear, for we have a tendency to always think the worst. But Jesus immediately helps him to face. Immediately. He says, take courage. He said, it is I. Don't don't be afraid. No other voice could have calmed their souls as the voice of Jesus. The disciples have passed from fear to faith because of the presence of Christ now with them. The disciples just had to hear that voice and, and, and a sense of peace and calm came over them. And how I wish we would only listen more to his word when we come to fear. A few weeks ago, Unity Christian High and Jenison Public High School had to go into lockdown. I guess the police were chasing a criminal in their vicinity. And when they went into lockdown, they were not told why. Those students felt an incredible fear. A couple of our grandchildren go to unity. They felt incredible fear. Terror. Terror gripped them. It was a it was a time when they could have applied their faith. And it was a time that they they should have applied their faith applied their trust. For the words of Jesus would calm them. The words of Jesus, if they could recall in the midst of their fear, given them peace. You know, we, or some of us, are afraid of life. Because it's 
pressures and with its dangers. And some of us, however, are afraid of death, and we talk about its uncertainties and pain and sorrow and finality. You know, Jesus says a lot about life and a lot about death. And he says to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It is I. It is I. You have to understand my truth is no lie. And my presence is no sham. And my power is not weak. It is I. The disciples heard him say, don't be afraid. And they return to faith. And that faith calmed them. Now those within that boat are now surprised at what one of their members is doing. Peter, impulsive Peter, is asking the Lord if he can come out of the boat and onto the water and meet him. I mean, the storm is raging, the wind is blowing, but Peter, hearing the voice of Jesus Say, it is I, be not afraid. Says, can I come out to greet you? Can I step out of this boat, walk on the water, so I can greet you? And we realize few of us, I mean, how many of us would risk the security of the boat? Surprising. I, I, I find it surprising that Jesus said, sure, Peter, come. So Peter, leaving the security of boat, steps on the water. You realize there are two people in this world, ball of human history, that walked on water. It wasn't just Jesus, Peter too. But you think about it. What faith has led some to do. What faith has led some to do? In the spirit of Peter, some members have entered the dark jungles of Africa or have gone into the very terrifying asphalt jungles of our big cities with eyes on Christ. They, like Peter, have dared to sacrifice. They have dared to face the danger. Not to boast, not to show off. Simply in response to Jesus' call to come. But you know, Peter was too much Simon even then. As he stepped out of the, ball, uh, the boat and began to walk on the water, he began to see the raging Wave, or the waves and, and, and felt the raging wind and, and Peter moved from faith to fear. Quickly, he moved from faith to fear. He began to sink. The water began to rise over him. He cries out, Jesus, save me. Peter has reached into the very reservoir of his soul even in doubt, he knew that he had to reach out to Jesus. He knew that he had to, 
to have faith in the man standing firm and secure upon the water. Though he cries out, Jesus, save me, it's a cry of the frightened person in all of us. The need to cry out to Jesus to save us. You know, it's at this point that we often are heard saying, Peter, Peter, I mean, you should not have taken your eye off Jesus. Kind of, we say it kind of as saying, shame on you, Peter. I mean, after all, keep your eye on Jesus. We say it as a rebuke. Think about that. We dare to admonish him for taking his eyes off Jesus. We criticize him while we are in the safety of the boat. He takes the risk of heeding the call of Jesus to come. He steps outside the safety of that boat and we criticize him while still in the boat. Here we sit in the comfortable pews and we point our fingers of criticism at those who have gone out and served Christ. <coughs> we have a tendency to point our fingers at the many Peters who have taken the risk of faith. I once heard a colleague of mine say about a missionary who had gone to a foreign country who had to return for it was just too difficult for him. And that colleague of mine says, ha, he couldn't take it. The Peters of our day, those who take those risks that we would never take, those who meet the storm and the tempest, they need our prayers, of course, not our rebukes. Sure, they got to keep their eyes on Jesus. But there are so many of us still in the security of the boat who have had no opportunity or who have no desire to even look at Jesus. And to this frightened man, Jesus extends his all-powerful hand and Peter is rescued from those threatening waters. Jesus, though, does not let this lack of faith go unnoticed. Oh, man of little faith, why do you doubt? Only Christ, also in the tempest, had the right to admonish him for his doubt. The answer is obvious, of course. Doubt and wavering entered Peter's heart because he had, for a moment, looked away from Jesus. I don't criticize him for that. I understand him. Peter had not taken sufficient, he had not sufficiently taken to heart the comfort and the strength derived from the presence and the promise and the power of Jesus. So may this be a question we all considered. Why do we doubt it is I. When Peter and Jesus entered the boat, the wind and the waves became calm and they found themselves at their destination. What a journey it had been. The church had come to face to faith with its fear, brought about by misunderstanding, brought about by lack of faith, brought about by weak faith. And yet Jesus came. 
walking on the sea, had given power to Peter, rescued Peter, stilled the storm. It was all. It was all for them, all to be with them, all to comfort them, all to strengthen their wavering faith. He had manifested his divine power. He had revealed himself to them as the very Son of God. What is more beautiful way could the journey end than with a worshiping community? A worshiping community. Those in the boat worshiped him, saying, You are indeed God's Son. What a, what a revelation we have here. Christ, our Savior, God's Son. These disciples were so overwhelmed by the infinite power and also the love of Jesus. They were overcome by the fact that he was able to do all of this and was willing to do it for them. What more could he say, could they do than to worship him? I mean, if you had been in that boat that night, what would you have done after what they had seen? Think about it. Does the cross deserve something less? They just saw him calm a storm. They saw him walk on water. But we have known him to be the one who gave his life on a cross and then rose from the dead. Don't those acts of Christ deserve anything less than worship? Why do we struggle with worship today? Why is it more comfortable to be in our living rooms watching a football game? Why? The struggle of the Christian life in which we move sometimes from fear to faith and then from to fear to faith again is the struggle of our life and the power of Christ overcomes it, then we should worship. We should worship. Amen. Lord, thank you for taking us along, taking us along in the boat on a storm and windy night. Father, we thank you that we are able to see the struggles of the disciples but also the miraculous works of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to understand, Father, that we too will face fear, dangers in our life, and yet let us always hear his voice saying, It is me, be not afraid. We ask this in our Savior's name. Amen.